So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Hello. We've got another bonus episode for you today. We have another bonus. And we are collaborating with Adobe to bring you this bonus episode, which is fun. Yeah, this is really exciting. We're doing this with Adobe as part of their gratefulness campaign, which is all about kind of mindfulness and creativity. And Gratefulness is, yeah, bringing together mindfulness and creativity. And it's, it's kind of about spending time on your creativity because we can get I guess caught up yeah, yeah, in yeah. just like life and, and when, especially when you're like running a business there's so much other stuff that comes into it other that like aside from your creativity yeah. that you have to do to to keep the lights on yeah and I think it also talks about as well as doing the creativity the not doing it which is also important of like actually taking a break and realizing that you, you don't have to do it full on all the time yeah sometimes you have to recharge your batteries which corresponds just beautifully to a DM that we got this morning from a friend of the show, uh, Valerie underscore Ebuwa on Instagram, who we've met at a couple of different events that we've done. Um, she's an amazing dancer. And she was asking us this morning about kind of burnout. And she's doing a lot. Like, yeah, it's, it's really impressive. Like she's being flown all over the place. She's doing these like kind of dance events and stuff. And she's loving what she's doing but at the same time she's really scared that she's saying yes to everything and she's taking on too much yeah it's really interesting so i think she's at a stage where she's like almost at breaking point i think in terms of i'm so exhausted i keep saying yes to things when do i take a break and being a little bit scared i suppose of turning down that next job just in case another one doesn't come yeah she specifically used the word momentum and I mean, I kind of what, so we replied to her this morning, but kind of what we were saying there is momentum is a wonderful thing. And if you can keep momentum going, then that's absolutely great. But if you do that to the detriment of your career, like if you do burn yourself out, then you're not going to be able to work for a lot longer time than if you just take a couple of days for yourself. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, something that you were saying to me earlier, there's, there's a lot of power in actually being able to say no. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's okay to say no to a client. It's okay to say I'm fully booked. And even if those days fully booked are your time you've taken for yourself just to rest and recover, like just say, yes, I can do that, but I can't do it until this date because I'm recovering over these next couple of days, especially if you're doing something physical like dancing, like you need to recover because otherwise you're just going to form an injury, which is then going to set you off, stop you dancing for even longer. Yeah, but I I feel like it's it's for everyone. I mean, even if you don't move in what you do, like if you do burn out, then you're like just your client deserves the best from Mm -hmm. you. And if you've been working like, eight days straight and you've and you've not been to sleep yeah then they're not going to get the same quality of work whatever it is you do um and so you owe it to your client to actually take the time to self-care to look after yourself to heal and to and to get better and then you'll you'll come back to your creative career just just more energized and able to and able to do more then absolutely so yeah, so it's worth it. And so I guess that's why we love this createfulness campaign is because it really shines a spotlight on 
what we're doing with our time mm-hmm. and how we should arrange our time so that we are taking time to do all of the important things. Yeah. Um, and looking at how you spend your time, like, are you are you wasting time doing stuff that doesn't forward you towards your mm. goals? If you're if you're doing something is not getting you to where you want to be, then disregard that. Yeah, and that includes resting, and that includes being creative. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because I think if you're working a nine to five job that you don't enjoy that isn't creative, then your downtime can be being creative. But as soon as you do the big creativity for your full time living, you need to take a break from that at times. A lot of people get massive rewards and mindfulness of just being creative like especially me if I kind of sit in your evenings and do some drawing that completely clears my mind and it's really really relaxing whereas if I do that all day the last thing I want to do when I get home is carry on drawing because you just you're just it just frazzles you yeah absolutely and I mean I I do so much painting now that I I don't really paint murals for for fun anymore yeah um, because it's it's now become my job and so I express that creativity in different ways now it's finding out what works best for you I mean I always feel like I should put the little disclaimer on there as well that it's not an excuse to be lazy Mm -hmm. like you can't yeah there's definitely a difference between being tired and burning out they're two very different things yeah like some people's threshold is very low yeah how much work they're willing to put into it and it's an easy get out saying like i'm tired but like if you generally do feel tired like seriously then take a break i think people are capable of much more than they than they probably expect yeah. they are and it's it's finding the the edges of those limits and, and how far you can push yeah definitely um, because it's like i know when i have to take a break and it's once in a blue moon it's like i mean like I don't really ever stop but I know I will know when I'm getting to that point so it's just knowing yourself yeah definitely yeah for the whole creativeness campaign Adobe had been doing a lot this summer they've held a bunch of competitions and offered all sorts of spaces for creatives to share ideas yeah they did uh, they did a lot over the summer which is uh, which is really cool so check them out I think if you are a young creative and there's ever anything going on like free events or and there's a lot of places that are offering this stuff like always check it out because there's there's always opportunities to learn to network to meet people yeah especially networking if you're a creative and you work on your own a lot events like that are really great to go to because you can meet other creatives and forming a bit of a community around that is it's invaluable going forward and i guess the the mecca of all of those events would be adobe max in la coming up yeah which i'm really really want to go to like loads of people i'm following online are going and unfortunately i'm too busy and can't afford a ticket to la right now did you know you could win a ticket to la I do know I could win one, but I'm pretty sure that I won't win the competition that we're giving out. I'm pretty sure we're not allowed to enter, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but hey. Um, so how do people enter a competition to win tickets to fly to LA to go to the Adobe Max conference and potentially change their career by meeting just incredible people? It's going to be so good. I'm so jealous of that. Uh, we'll go next year, definitely. So Adobe are actually holding a Creative Jam in London on the 4th, 5th and 6th of October this year, 2019. Yes, so these creative jams are online, so you can be anywhere in the world to attend a creative jam. And in order to register, you need to go to bit.ly forward slash createfulness, and you can register and find all the details. So this episode, we interviewed a creative called Octavia Brommel. Tink is an illustrator who creates a lot of work basically around mental health and uh, depression awareness and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, this episode's super interesting, just hearing her story of like struggling with depression and how her creativity managed to get her out of it. 
yeah it's it's really inspiring like she was literally at rock bottom yeah um she she wasn't feeling anything yeah and she used just being creative drawing to get her out of that and then realized by sharing that online that she could get so many other people out of that as well so inspiring story great interview we really enjoyed this so hope you guys enjoy it too Tink. Hi. Thanks for coming on our podcast. Thanks for having me. Where did the name Tink come from? I think it's probably the first question. Yeah, it's always a good place to start. My full name is Octavia Brummel. I was fortunate enough to be given a really weird first name and a surname. Thanks. Yeah, you don't that. get many Octavias, do you? No. Yeah. Where's, where does Sounds that come like from? a Game of Thrones character. <laughs> it does. Like, it's great. Octavia. Yes. Well, my parents are big supporters of the National Trust, as am I, and the founder of the National Trust was called Octavia Hill, and she was oh, also nice. kind of a social housing pioneer and an early feminist and all-round cool person. So <laughs> I think that's partly where the inspiration came If you love a bit of social housing, the first ever piece of social housing in the country is just down the road from here. Oh, really? Yeah, it's actually like, really beautiful. Look at you with your facts. Well, Where did that come one from? Of, one of your friends, Charlie, who took us on the tour around there. Oh, yeah. So you know the thing about retaining information, and they say like when you read a book, you retain like 10%. I think I'm probably on about 3%. And I really enjoyed that. We did like a full tour around East London. Like my, my friend does, um, in fact, shout out to London Tailored Tours. Um, but yeah, she's, she's got a, a tour company and we did a tour with her and she took us all around London, was showing us all these things. And like, I love those things when I'm on them, but I just don't retain the information. Yeah, see, I, I love it because... We won't go too far too deep into that specific <laughs> part of social housing, but um, it's just really cool because it's like in a, it's called Arnold Circus. It's in like a big roundabout, effectively, and in the middle is a huge mound, and that was where they left all of the rubble from the building it. So instead of like shipping it out, oh. they just piled it all in the middle and then built a nice little park on top of it. So cute! Yeah, I love that. Was I definitely there? Because I do not remember that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think you are. Oh, there we go. Anyway, sorry, where, sorry. Did, uh, where did Tink come from? <laughs> so the name Tink, yeah. I am a big Disney fan to this day and Tinkerbell was one of my favourite characters because she's sassy and she does what she wants. <laughs> um, and I have a younger brother who shockingly couldn't say Octavia. So, yeah, he called me Tinks or Tinkerbell or Tink and it just kind of stuck. Really. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. I think it's amazing the amount of names that come out of child speak like yeah. some I know a lot of people have got nicknames and like my granddad I used to call a random name because I couldn't say it yeah well there we go <laughs> Tink it is then <laughs> right we've established your name um, how would you describe your style because you're an illustrator slash artist slash yeah I think I am kind of finally at the point where I feel comfortable calling myself an illustrator for a very long time even like a year after I was getting commissions I didn't because I think that I don't know I guess I just didn't feel like I was valid enough as an artist to actually label myself as that but yeah I would definitely say I'm an illustrator now I think I probably feel most comfortable with it because it's kind of an excuse to not draw true to life which I can't do and I'm very kind of I really admire people that can do that but I'm just never going to be able to do it and I like having a lot of fun with my work I use the word maximalism a lot to describe my style I like using all the colours all the time, especially if they don't go together. And yeah, I guess I try and use a blend of like realism and escapism because I like to try and 
like have my work mean something to me and hopefully to other people but at the same time life can be a bit shit sometimes and I want to use my work to escape it as well. There is so much there so maximalism is that a term you've coined or is that something that exists already because I've never heard that used before? Mm. I think I heard it a couple of years ago I think it was uh, an interior design phase that was happening I definitely didn't make it up as well like it's definitely pre-existing but I don't think a lot of people use it because I don't know I guess not a lot of people are (laughs) are crazy enough to actually (laughs) do it (laughs) I suppose it probably came out of like an anti-minimalism movement yeah I've just because I'm there was definitely a certain time in interior design where everything was really simple stripped back super scandy and that's kind of I suppose where Ikea first came like really popular in their real like minimal designs and stuff and so I suppose it's kind of coming back to probably have more of like a homely kind of feel like having stuff rather yeah. than just a, an empty shell of something yeah and um, my parents run an auction house they sell antiques and I've grown up around antiques and my house is just not minimal <laughs> yeah really not even slightly I mean I think the only piece of furniture in our house that isn't an antique is our tv and that's how it's been since before I can remember. So I'm used to having a lot of stuff. It's a great source of inspiration as well. So I like it. <laughs> it really sort of brings up the questions of, of value, I guess. And the, as humans, like the value that we put onto these items, because uh, there's that saying like one man's trash is another man's treasure, because someone would see like stuff in your house, things in an auction house and would just chuck it out because it's old. And I think the same, like the same can apply to artwork as well, because you're saying like, there's no, there's no like realism to your work, but that doesn't matter. Like the value that we associate to the artwork is, is due to what, I guess what we receive from it. So I collect like toys from the 1980s and nineties. And to me, those are to someone else, they're a car boot sale, like throw it on the ground, don't care about it. But to me, like, it's a beautiful thing. It's a piece of art to me. Um, and I think it's, I guess, I guess the, the goal of an artist is to find those people and cultivate them and bring them around you that do see the value in your work, whatever you're creating, whether it's realism or maximalism or what, whatever it is. And so the specific person, I think when, when you were saying earlier, the specific person I thought of is um, Adam J.K. Do you know his work? Yeah, yeah I love his work. Um, so yeah, we had him on, on the podcast. And- Great episode, loved it. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Thanks, mate. Um, but yeah, so, so with his work, it's like he just goes to show that, because he was kind of quite funny about it, wasn't yeah. he? But he was like, it's handwriting. It's just handwriting. And I love that, that he's, he's confident enough to say like, I'm a legit artist. I'm to be taken seriously. And he's like, he's fucking ruthless about that. He's like, he's like, you will take me fucking seriously. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, he's like, but it's just handwriting. And I, and I love that. I love that we've got to a place where people can accept that. And so how are you kind of cultivating and finding your tribe and, and bringing those people that are appreciating your work around you? So I started drawing as therapy originally. I don't have any training as an artist. I studied music and then journalism at uni. And I got partway through a master's in magazine journalism. And at which point my mental health became too much for me to handle on my own. I had been struggling with it for more than a decade, I think, by that point. And because it's something that I'd had since I was a kid, it was just kind of my normal. Because obviously I was my only experience of a human being. So I must be how human beings are, you know. So I moved home to my parents in Dorset from London, where I lived for five years. 
which was a huge culture shock. I went from being a five-minute walk from a 24-hour shop. The tube had just gone 24 hours. So exciting. <laughs> and then I moved home and we don't have any street lights in my village. Um, they cut a bus service last year. It's the only thing that I can hear are the sheep in the field behind the house. And it's just... It's so different, like it's the complete antithesis of everything that London is. Um, and there were so many things that I loved about London, but weirdly, all the things that I loved about London, the complete opposite is what I love about Dorset. Mm. And when I first went home, I was so ill that my mum had to take six months off work to care for me because I just wasn't functioning as a human being. And one of the strongest symptoms, other than like feeling like life wasn't worth li living, was that I had a complete absence of happiness. Like, I was just completely numb. Like, I'd watch Disney films that I knew I loved. I'd watched since I was a kid, seen them a thousand times before, and I would just get nothing, or they'd make me feel sad. Which is kind of okay in an isolated incident, but I that was the thing that I was doing to try and bounce back from it. So it was a really difficult process to try and work happiness back into my life, and it really was work. I'd always kind of been creative and enjoyed crafts and I kind of started cycling through a few different things, knitting, crocheting, other kind of old lady things <laughs> and picked up a pencil and started drawing and found that I enjoyed it. It very quickly became incredibly addictive because I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I can <laughs> I can have happiness again. Like I'm not going to be fucking miserable for the rest of my life. And... That was just a real moment for me. And at that point, I'd been living at home for a year and I had completely lost contact with everyone. I found social media completely overwhelming. I couldn't talk to people on the phone and I didn't have any friends in Dorset, so I basically was completely isolated from everyone for a year. And I started drawing and it was around the same time when I finally found a good therapist and I got onto some antidepressants that actually started helping me. So I started to recover slowly and I kind of wanted to talk to people again <laughs> and I think because I was drawing and I was enjoying it I kind of wanted to talk to people about drawing really which was when I started up my Instagram and yeah I really to start with I was really mainly using it as a tool for inspiration and to talk to people about my work and it was so exciting to me to get feedback on it because like neither of my, well neither of my parents would say that they're creative and they were kind of my only frame of reference at that point. So they'd be like, oh, cool, you drew something. But fun. they love me, but they don't care enough to actually go It's not their it. thing. No, and that's fine. it's just yeah, not. Yeah. It's just not. So to have people being like, oh, I really, like, this means something to me. Or to be like, oh, that's a bit crap, was so exciting to me. And I felt like it was kind of an avenue into being able to have conversations like a normal human being if there is such a thing so yeah it, it suddenly became very important to me to kind of try and grow my audience not from a business perspective but just because I wanted to talk to more people about my work yeah to socialize yeah it was just it was great to have something to talk about and it seems that I mean again there's a lot there but it's, sorry I'm not trying to throw like, <laughs> hundreds of pieces of information at you no no it's really great and, and I love how kind of open you are about about your story because um, I think the more that we do have these discussions, the more other people can be helped by them. Because I'm sure at the time you felt like the only person in the world that was going through what you're going through. Yeah. And 
by by now posting on Instagram because like you use a lot of like captions and and just feelings that you're going through that are just personal to you but then they resonate with so many other people so have people reached out because obviously initially you're starting off and people are and you're just getting like crits I guess like just feedback like like go this direction try using red whatever but now I guess are you getting feedback that's from people saying this has helped me yeah definitely I mean I'm kind of constantly overwhelmed by the amount of people that reach out and tell me about their life and their experiences or how their friend is struggling or it's it just impacts every single person even if it's not them it's their mother or their aunt or their cousin's best friend's sister's husband or it's, it's it affects everyone and that is kind of um well that's kind of why I do what I do to be honest with you so I should probably talk a little bit about the Adobe Creative Residency because we'll get to that. Yeah, don't worry about <laughs> well, but it's because my project for the year is called The Joyful Every Day, which stems from my experience with anxiety and depression. And I, so I started my Instagram as a tool to talk to people. But then obviously I found that the more feedback I got, the more involved I wanted to be with my own work. So the more I made, so the more feedback I got, it was kind of a bit of a... Snowball. Yeah, it yeah. was great. Yeah, so I was using Instagram and I was talking to people and I, I started getting messages from people saying that they were going through the same thing. And that was around the same time that I started picking up client work. I run my own Etsy shop and I was lucky enough to have recovered enough by that point to want to start working again. Because I basically had three years of work, which in your early 20s feels like an incredibly long time. And I was suddenly aware that I started drawing as therapy and my experience with mental health was so intertwined with my work but I wasn't able to fulfill that through the work that I was doing for other people which is obviously completely understandable like businesses don't want their logos to reflect my personal experience with anxiety you know (laughs) but it suddenly became very important to me that that's what I wanted to do so I wanted I'm hoping to spend this year turning my experience with my mental health into like the bedrock of my career so that I can that can kind of speak to the work I do for the rest of my life really yeah and I I think you're smart to do that and I think that building around becoming known as as that's your niche I think is smarter than than going kind of wide with it and trying to hit hit everyone and, and be accepted by everyone um it's it's definitely something that that we've sort of wrestled with over the years of um, when you turn your passion into your career, then there's there's obviously certain like for for us we had a vision with Graffiti Life which was to sort of help as many artists as possible, which made that was the reason for the for the client work. Um, so there wasn't like a message that we were trying to get out. It was more that we were tr- sort of trying to provide opportunities for people. But if there is something that is like burning at the core of you, and that's your message, and as an artist you feel like you have to get that across then your ideal clients are going to be the people that that do want to be involved with with you because of that. Um, so I think that's that's a really good business decision. Yay, that's great news. <laughs> so regarding the Etsy shop you started, at what point did you d- decide to kind of turn just what you were doing for fun into something that bec- could become more of a career? I think it was probably around Christmas. I think I'd been drawing for about six months and one of my friends wanted to buy one of my designs 
to give to their sister as a Christmas present. Yeah. And I told my mum about it and she was like, oh, I'd quite like to give your cousin something, you know, and... Like, I w- was ridiculously undercharging. Like, I made a loss on everything I sold in the first, of like, course. eight yeah. or nine months. <laughs> but it was basically an excuse because I was like, okay, well, maybe even if it's only these three people, maybe I do have an audience of three people yeah. that are interested in it. And honestly, it was just the easiest way to do it. It's obviously free to sign up um, and there are fees when you sell something. You have to pay, like, 15p to list something. But it was just like a no stress way of people being able to buy my stuff because at the time like I was recovering I still am recovering I'm I don't think I'll ever be recovered but I was definitely not like back up to full speed whatever that means and so the thought of having to like do an email back and forth with people and go through the process of them paypaling it to me and me withdrawing it and it was just like completely overwhelming whereas having a platform where they could just click a button and pay it and then that would just get sent to my bank account was like the dream. (laughs) So yeah, that was my my motivation. And I sold a lot more than I thought I would at the start. (laughs) Sometimes I sold a lot less than I hoped I would. Because this is really impressive for like anyone listening to this that six months prior you hadn't drawn and then you'd picked up a pencil, committed to it and then you were now selling things. Which is pretty incredible. Like, how much, how how many were you selling at this point? Not very many at all. Like, I was probably making, like, a sale a week or something. And I definitely, I think, like I was saying at the beginning about not calling myself an illustrator, I definitely wasn't, like... I honestly don't think at that point it had even crossed my mind that that would be something that I would think about doing yeah. as a career. Um, what, what would you have called yourself at that point? Depressed. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. I think for a long time, the hot shame of for, like failing at mm-hmm. my master's, basically, yeah. kept me in a place where I was like, I'm going to go back, I'm going to finish it, I'm going to be a journalist, you know, and then everyone will think that nothing happened and we won't, we just won't need to talk about it ever again and it'll be fine and I'll just be this like shiny person that never did anything wrong, you know? I mean, for literally like years afterwards and I still get pangs of it to be honest with you for years afterwards I was just like caught in this spiral of like I have to go back I have to finish it I have to go back because my anxiety and my my um self-worth is so tied up with achieving things um this was all kind of like internally there's no pressure from parents or anything or no no not at all I think at the start, we definitely had conversations where they were like trying to get me to go back, yeah. but it wasn't because it wasn't because they were trying to force me to do it. It was because they didn't understand what was going on and yeah. they wanted, they were still in at that point of the mindset that like, you know, pulling your socks up and mm-hmm. getting on with it was like the healthy thing to do because in normal circumstances, if you have a blip in your life, like... I don't know if you go through a bad relationship or something. Sometimes getting back on the horse can be really helpful. Not always, obviously, but sometimes. And that was kind of their only... That was the only thing that they had any experience of. So, yeah, they they did want me to go back, but only because I think that that would have meant that I was well and that we could kind of close the book on that, that yeah. chapter. Do you remember the day when you were like, I'm an illustrator? I do, actually. (laughs) 
there is a really great charity in Dorset called the Arts Development Company. They're part of the Arts Council in the UK. Yeah. And they run free workshops, like business workshops for artists. And I actually went to a pottery club and I met someone who was part of it and she was like, oh yeah, we do free workshops. And they weren't all business. Some of them were like, make your own cards and fun things. And I just kind of by accident fell into attending one of their like business workshops with my best friend. She had just graduated as a graphic designer and we used to have regular drawing sessions in the evening we'd go around and drink wine and eat snacks and draw cats and other fun (laughs) things so we kind of went to that workshop and it was a two-part workshop and I remember after the second week I don't know I I honestly just felt like I'd been given permission to take myself seriously Mm -hmm. but again I'd been drawing I'd been drawing for about a year and a half and I'd been like doing it as a business for about six months but I just didn't give myself the permission to actually sit down and be like, maybe this is what you do now, you know? Yeah, it's definitely a mindset thing. I know with like various things, like especially like people who are trying to quit things or grow different habits, it's that mindset of like, for example, like if you smoke and then you'll be like, oh, I'm not going to smoke anymore. And someone offers you a cigarette, you'll be like, oh no, I'm quitting. But having the mindset of just saying, like, if someone offered me a cigarette, I'd be like, no, I don't smoke. It's those two different mindsets of, like, one, I'm trying to stop, and one, I just don't. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, I was definitely, for a long time, again, just trying to find ways that I could get well enough to move back to London and see all my friends again and finish off my master's and be a journalist because if I wasn't a journalist, I was failing at life because that's something that I'd, like declared to the world that I wanted to do yeah and I tried really hard to do and I wasn't doing it and that kind of sense of failure was really deafening sometimes I think it's our our mission with this podcast is to get people to not worry about those failures to try and have as many of those failures as possible collect them and be proud of them because each one of them is going to make you a stronger person because the current culture that we have especially with the school system is that there's a correct answer, one correct answer for every question, and you get a mark out of 10. And if you've done something that's not that correct answer, then it's wrong and you've failed and failure equals bad. So that crushes creativity because it means that we can only ever do one thing and we can't just experiment. And it's like, try a journalism degree, try working for your mate's barbecue shop, Try whatever it is, just do as many things as possible and see what works for you and try not to, I guess that's why the podcast is like, we want it to be sort of like a regular reminder to people, like keep on going, you're doing, you're doing the right thing. If this doesn't work, that's great. Yes. That's great. Completely fine. So many people we've talked to on this show have kind of found their passion a lot later on. They've not, growing up, they'd never known at school what subjects to pick because they didn't know what what they wanted to do so just pick something because they had to pick something and they've just gone down this route but so many people that we've talked to have something's kind of affected that somewhere and then they've had to go and try lots of different things it's through trying those things that they've found what they're actually passionate about which too many people are stuck in this box of just like well this corridor of just you've got to go this direction whereas if you actually take it like well for the next 10 years, I'm going to try as many things as possible. Life's a long time. And you might as well make sure that 
like try a bit to start with and then have the rest of it being great. Don't just force yourself down a hole and then 20, 30 years later be like, I wish, I wish I'd have done something different. Yeah. And I was actually talking to someone last night about this. I was giving a workshop and I was talking to someone afterwards about like the skills it takes to be a business person as well as a creative. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you can call yourself a creative person, it's kind of a broad term for a reason. Like you have to have a lot of interests. Yeah. Because every day I wear the hat of like an artist, but I'm also like a social media manager and my own manager and my own assistant and my own agent and my own agency. And like you have to do so many things and have your fingers in so many different pies. But that's what makes my job fascinating to me. And I can say safely that if I'd ended up in a job where I was doing the same thing every day or even if I was doing the same thing on a weekly rolling basis, I would be miserable because... I'm fundamentally interested in too many different yeah. things to be static for the rest of my life. Interesting. Like from, from you saying that, I'm like analysing my own kind of path. And it's super interesting because when you start a business, yes, you do a job of 20 different people. But then as you evolve and your business grows, you get more staff and you slowly start to realise out of those 20 jobs, which you prefer doing. I mean, that's what we've done. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, there's a lot of illustrators who will forever be on their own through their career. So yeah. I think it's it's important to to always have those skills. I think they'll always be on their own, but then they'll get other people to do their accounts for them. Mm. Like as they grow and they get better and they get more money comes in, they've yeah. got more help from elsewhere. You can start siphoning off the things you enjoy doing less to other people. But it's that thing at the start of like giving yourself everything to do mm. because it's like... If you, if you start something, you have to do every job. Every job that's, that someone could do, you're doing. Mm. You're the cleaner. You're the, the social media manager. You're, like, you do everything. And it's like by doing that. Like, I wonder if anyone's ever started and then thought, let's just become a cleaner because that's what I love doing. Yeah, I, I mean, it's all about happiness, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I, I think it's really interesting when you were talking about the, the finding joy every day. And what's interesting to me is that you were you were going to things like the Disney movies that previously had brought you joy and they weren't. But the thing that did bring you joy was by actually doing. Um, so you weren't like passively consuming. You were actually being active and going out and doing. And when it comes to starting out with your own business, I mean, we're talking to people every day and we're letting them know how hard it is it's like straight off the bat it's like this is really hard and what's much easier is just to be an automaton get up every day go to a job get on the bus go and sit at your desk do your spreadsheets then go home but it's like for people like us for like the more rebellious people like we have to be doing and it's the doing that brings the happiness it's completely loving the process isn't it it's it's that waking up every day and being like oh I can't wait to do this like I think that's what's so lovely and I think what you're saying about it being hard work is like yeah it's incredibly hard work I sleep a lot (laughs) a lot less than I'd like to (laughs) but the payoff is that I get to do the thing that wakes me up in the morning that keeps me up at night that keeps me going at that 3 p.m slump when all I want to do is go home it's so exciting and invigorating to me that I get to do illustration as my job and yeah the hard work is just 
kind of part and parcel of that. And I'm okay with that. So I've heard you talk before about imposter syndrome and, um, and obviously we've touched on it already here. Like you weren't calling yourself an illustrator for a long time. And recently you found yourself at Cannes. Talk a little bit about that. You've felt a little bit out of your depth, you were saying. Yeah, I have been lucky to travel quite a lot this year with Dobie, which has been amazing, terrifying and exhausting, but amazing. And one of the things I did was I went to the Cannes Lions Festival. It's a creativity festival in Cannes that happens once a year. Um, it's massive and I had never heard of it before. <laughs> and I had under 24 hours notice before <laughs> I was in Cannes, um, which meant that the only clothes I took were striped T-shirts because I had to pack in 10 minutes and I was walking down through a French city wearing <laughs> only striped T-shirts, which was rather funny. Should um, have bought a beret on the corner. I, yeah. Honestly, if I'd been wearing a beret, it just would have topped the whole thing off. It would have been great. <laughs> Do you love baguettes as well? Well, yeah, just a couple under my <laughs> yeah. arm. Yeah. And yeah, imposter syndrome, as I said earlier, I have an excellent therapist and we talk about imposter syndrome all the time. It's one of my closest friends and I'm very, very familiar with that feeling that you don't belong and that you've somehow got there by mistake. I mean, I'm now three, nearly four months deep with a year-long programme with Adobe and I still can't shake the feeling sometimes that someone's going to phone me up and be like, oh, I'm really sorry, but we said your name by mistake. And this is like, and I rationalise it and I'm like, I've been to the US with them three times. Yeah. They've paid me a wage for three months. Like, they're invested at this point. <laughs> but I still sometimes have that feeling where I'm just like, just sit quietly and don't make a noise. And hopefully they just won't notice that it's you and not the person that they wanted to be there. So I was at, at Cannes at this um, amazing festival and I do live portraits at events. And I did one at a dinner hosted by Refinery29 and Visa and it was a really incredible thing. It was like on a rooftop overlooking the bay and there were all these lights. There was like a hundred people there and there was a private concert by Estelle. It was like completely amazing. surreal and amazing. And I just remember getting back to my hotel room that evening and being like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, do they not know who I am? Like, do they, do they not understand that I'm a complete fraud and... And it, I just couldn't shake that feeling because the whole week I was meeting people, like I met the COO of Reddit, I met the marketing director of Facebook, people from Google and Pinterest and like companies that I use like all day, every day without even thinking twice about it. And these people were like having conversations with me and wanted to know what I was doing and I just felt like such a fraud. Oh my God. And I recorded a video that I think you were talking about just talking about how I felt really and I didn't actually pluck up the courage to post it <laughs> for like a month afterwards but I have had the most responses to posting that video than anything I've ever posted online ever like people go on and on about how there are so many horrible people in the world but oh my god there are some just fantastic there are some really good eggs out yeah. there like I had people messaging me being like your art is valid and your work brings me joy every day and like never doubt that you are an artist and that you have value to the world and 
it, it was just like, it was weird because there's people that I'd never spoken to before and it was like exactly what I needed to hear. And it was because I knew that they were going through the exact same thing. And somehow it's easier to encourage someone else and kind of feed someone else's soul than stand in the mirror and say it to yourself. Mm. And that was a real, that was a really powerful moment for me knowing that that video had like hit a nerve with so many people. I feel like at this point, I'm at the point with my social media where, because I know that I'm kind of embracing my mental health and all the quirks and horrors that that brings, everything I put out online is kind of, I try and make it as true to what I'm going through as possible. Yeah. And I kind of, <laughs> I kind of have a, a, a fuck it and see approach to it. Like if I put something up and it doesn't do well, then I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was very much like I put up that video and I was like, it's not going to get any response, but this is who I am. And that's exactly what I was feeling at that precise moment. And yeah, it was like, as I said, the most successful thing I've ever put out online. So that was a real, I don't know, it it just kind of reinforced the idea that I think human beings relate to human beings. They don't relate to meaningless squares on their feed, you know. Yeah, that was really powerful for me. So if someone's listening to this and they think, I'm an imposter, what would you say to them? <laughs> oh boy, million dollar question. Honestly, I I don't know. It's That's such a, a tricky question to answer. How does your therapist help you? We do a lot of, obviously we do a lot of talking about like mental health and everything as well. But in terms of self-confidence, honestly, a lot of what she does is just like reassuring me that I am in the right place and I'm not a fraud. And like sometimes she lists the people that have had to believe in me. And she's like, you do recognize that like this person and this person and this person, like all the people that have ever hired you, Mm. you know, they've believed in you to the point that they want to give you their money to do something. So you must be valuable, you know, your your work has worth to these people, like these specific people. And I definitely find having like concrete examples really helpful because I think when you get more abstract and you're just like, everyone thinks I'm crap. Like that's such a vague, yeah. it's such a hard thing to tackle because it's like, well, I can't ask everyone, you know, you can't go around and check with every person in the world. Like, would you call me an illustrator? You know, is, is my work valid for you? So I think that going through and kind of looking at the things in your career that you're really proud of can be a really powerful way of just being like, I know you're not going to go away, but just maybe sit quietly in the corner Mm. (laughs) and don't tell me bad things because I'm a badass and I'm great at what I do. Easier said than done, I know, but it's a It definitely is, but I mean, from from our perspective, uh, for us, it's gone. We don't have it anymore. Um, really? Yeah, and I think I mean we're we're a lot older than you are, but I think we've we've just done so many things over and over again. Yeah. That and and delivered confidently, and I mean when when we first started having like big name clients come to us, we were just like so out of our depth and just thinking like when is what like when are they going to realise that I mean we're just street artists. I'm yeah. like this, and this is at a time where paying money for street art was not a thing um and we were like yeah they they're just gonna realize that this is this is not they, they've made the wrong decision but then continually as you were saying like if you just remind yourself of of the journey that you're on the journey that you've been on like where you've come from where you are now taking stock of everything 
and for us now i mean we've just we've just done so much that we have so much confidence in ourselves now and i think that confidence is attractive certainly to to clients and to to sort of the the other creatives and people that you meet because you can instill that confidence in them because they can they can look at you and say okay well i can see your journey and and that's why i think it's important we've recently just started reframing something that that was just a stock answer that we used to give to to people so we used to say within the first year of our company we worked for microsoft nike microsoft nike and adidas which is true but it doesn't paint the realistic picture of how the beginning of our business was it makes it sound like we were a success right out of the gate year one we worked with those three those three brands what people don't see is that, yeah, we work for those three brands, but that is not enough to keep the lights on. And Adam was nearly evicted and um, I moved back in with my mum and dad and sold my trainer collection. And just like, it was so hard. And I think having the um, the confidence to talk about like, started from the bottom and like, literally this is where we were. Yeah. And when people can see where you are now, it gives them hope and it gives them yeah. encouragement. Because so. we could, yeah, because obviously if we just say to people, oh, within the first year we worked for these three big brands and they're like, well, I'm a year in and I haven't worked for anyone like that. So should I just quit now? Yeah. So I think like so much of what people put out there to the world is a very like kind of rosy view of what actually happened. And people looking in, I can understand why that would create imposter syndrome in other people because a lot of people will look up to the number one person in their field and compare themselves to that. Yeah. Like if you're a illustrator, you're going to look at the best illustrators in the world, their audience will be like, well, I'm not that. That to me is what an illustrator yeah. is and I'm not that. Yeah. I think not enough people just look at their peers and think, well, how am I doing compared to everyone who's around me? Yeah. Actually, it's doing all right. I'm, I'm on that yeah. level. It's that thing about not comparing yourself to where other people are on their ladders because their ladders leaned against a completely different building mm-hmm. and yours might be down a sinkhole or you might have slipped and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You just have to keep climbing and your ladder is the only one that matters, really. Yeah, if you're starting from a different point. Exactly. Because, yeah, we, we all... And I think that's so valid and it's something that people don't talk about. It's like... I hold no ill will towards Kylie Jenner for being like self-made millionaire. And everyone was kicking off about that term, like self-made millionaire. She did the best she could with the resources she had. Those resources happened to be a lot. (laughs) Makes things a lot easier. But we're all starting from a different level. And I I mean, we we just had a, a donut maker on the show and she was talking about how like how when she started she had a bakery within her one bedroom flat like she literally built everything within that space whereas some other people might have been able to have parents help them buy premises it's like yeah. you've just got to scratch and claw and yeah. use whatever resources are around you to to get to where you can yeah and i think also understanding what people have done before which might not be the same thing it's like with graffiti it's like when i first picked up a spray can i picked it up very quickly because i'd done art for years because mm-hmm. i've done a lot of digital illustration which the way you build up a piece is very similar to how you would do it on with a tablet and something on photoshop so it's like you, just looking at it from the outside you might think how how the hell did you get that quick yeah. that good but then there's years and years worth of experience has gone into something different beforehand that's translatable it's like if we start a new business now 
someone might look at it and be like, fuck, that grew successful really quickly. But there's all the experience from our previous business, all the mistakes we've made previously. Well, we wouldn't have launched the number one podcast had we not had nine years of experience of running a business because we applied everything that we knew about being successful in business to launching a podcast. And that's why it worked. I think that there is something incredibly valuable in the fact that you guys have run a business and it's kind of that difference between like the things that you'd say in your portfolio and things you say to clients and the things you'd say to your peers and to people that are trying to make it and I Mm. think that's one of the problems with like social media is that's where your peers find you and your audience finds you and it's also where your clients find you so I think that having the courage to be like we work with these three people but I was also nearly evicted it's like it's like the qualification behind it is yeah. so valuable and I think that a lot of people stop themselves because they don't want to put off clients and because everyone needs to pay the bills yeah. fundamentally. So that's definitely one of the most valuable things for me as a listener of your great podcast <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> is the fact that you're willing to actually talk about it. Like, yeah, I think, I think so from, from what I've learned, the key to success is honesty. It's like if you put up some fake wall, you can only do that for so long before it just gets so yeah. tedious. It's like if you just go out and be honest every day, you don't ha- like, I don't have to, I'm not going to force myself into being an imposter. It's like if I'm just myself all the time, I'm not pretending to be someone that I'm not. And I, that's probably where a lot of people get imposter syndrome from as well, is just trying to be a bit fake. It's like so many Instagram accounts of people who spend their whole life on beaches, whereas actually that like was two holidays. A yeah, year. exactly. And yeah. they just spread them out. Um, so how did the opportunity with Adobe come out, come about? I saw an ad on Facebook two days before the deadline and didn't sleep or eat or breathe really <laughs> for 48 hours. Honestly, it was very much like a, this is way too good to be true kind of situation. And even after I submitted the application, I don't think it ever crossed my mind that I would actually like move on to the next stage, let alone actually get it. But I was at a point where, again, like I said earlier, I was kind of picking up client work, but not really feeling fulfilled, which was a bit of an alien concept because I started illustration in order to bring joy to myself. So honestly, I filled out the application as a self-reflective exercise. I was at a point in my career, and I'm now calling it a career. Good. um, And I really wanted to think about where I'd been and how far I'd come, not just in my career, but with my mental health and just as a person. And also, like, where I wanted to be, like, where I wanted to be in five years, what I what I wanted to be doing in the next six months and what I would need to do next week to try and make that happen. So I filled out the project proposal and sent it off and I was brutally honest about my mental health. Like, I think I said in my application that I had felt suicidal every day for six months because that was the case. And that was kind of the turning point for me when I was like, this needs to be what I do because it's who I am. And I was fortunate enough that that struck a chord with them. And obviously it wasn't just an essay about my mental health. I included my work and kind of a bit more about why I do what I do. And it was a real process. I think it was 12 or 13 interviews, some in person, some over video chat. Julia, the leader of the whole programme, flew in from San Francisco for our day of interviews at the Adobe office in London. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And yeah, it, it took like two months. And by the end, I was like, well, this is just going to be great because I'm going to have spent all this time and got all my hopes up and then I'm not going to get it. And then I got it, which I think also feeds into my imposter syndrome because I'm very much like, I don't think it's ever going to feel real. Mm. I feel like I'm going to wake up tomorrow and the year's going to be over and I'm just going to be like, that didn't really happen. Like, <laughs> there's no way that that was me. That was someone else. Um, so, yeah, the residency is basically a kick up the backside for your career. Adobe funds a year's worth of work on your dream project. And my project is The Joyful Every Day, which is a concept that you can find happiness in the really tiny things that make up your life, stemming from my experience with anxiety and depression. As I said before, when I was starting to illustrate, it was to find joy. And me and my best friend at the time started um, something called The Joy List, where she'd just moved back to uni in London and I was living in Dorset. And once a week, we would draw out on a sheet of paper 10 things that brought us joy. I definitely wasn't calling myself an illustrator at that point. And they were just kind of like silly little doodles of a kettle or sunflowers opening or like really silly little things. But every week I would get one through the post from her and it would bring me such happiness. And knowing that she was getting the same thing from things that brought me happiness yeah. as well was really powerful. So my project for the year is, as I said, to try and turn my experience with mental health into my career. I've just finished a 100-day drawing challenge, which was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like I learned so much about my style and what I want to draw and what I don't. But each day I picked something small that brought me joy, like five minutes extra in bed or it getting to that time of the year when the sun hits my studio in a certain way that I get full sun across the whole thing for like six hours of the day. It's wonderful. <laughs> and it's, it's just things that you might not think about, kind of like a rolling gratitude journal yeah. almost. And then also they do things like help you find a mentor in your field and pay you a salary. Um, super helpful. <laughs> Sleep a lot better <laughs> at night now. <laughs> but it's so much more than that. It's like the confidence to be able to call yourself an artist and the confidence to know that you don't need to have a million followers on Instagram to be able to make it as a creative and that that's a perfectly valid way of being a creative. You don't have to be like on the top rung of the ladder to really have an impact and also be really fulfilled as well. So yeah, I'm just hoping to spend my year developing as an artist but also talking to people about my mental health and my experiences and their experiences and kind of any overlap. The platform that I've been given is, well, I get to do amazing things like this and talk about it frankly and openly and honestly. And honestly, if I could help like one person have a slightly relieved version of what I went through, then I can go to bed happy in the evenings. Um, and if I get to do that while drawing, then... I'm kind of as happy as I could be, really. <laughs> Amazing, and you're and you're already doing it. Also, I think there's definitely a business there in the uh, in the joy list. That's the businessman in me coming out, but like a mail <laughs> no, order service where people get just a little bit of joy every week that they open something that makes them happy that's been sent to them. There's definitely a business there. 
Okay, uh, yeah. noted. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Brainstorm on that. There's, yeah. there's definitely yeah. something there, I would say. Um, that is amazing. Um, I'm really excited to to see what you what you go on to do. And I think that just from this, from researching you and just from this short conversation, like you you do not need to be feeling I know I, I know that me saying it means nothing, but I'm gonna say it anyway that you you have no need to to worry about like the position you're in. You've you've earned every everything that you've got and um, it's really inspiring to see. So and you're helping a bunch of people. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you for being willing to talk about it. Um, it's so nice to talk to you guys. That's <laughs> <laughs> our pleasure. Where can yeah. people find you online? On Instagram, I am at tinkoutsidethebox um, or tinkoutsidethebox.com. Amazing. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya.